Welcome to the Full Press Fantasy Podcast, part of the Full Press Radio Network. My name is Kyle Senra, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Alessandro Senator and Dean Williams. How are you guys doing today? I'm good. good. How you, Dean? How to properly unmute the mics. Thanks, Dean. Now, all three of us are writers for Full Press Coverage. That's on Twitter at FPCoverage, F-P-C-O-V-E-R-A-G-E. Uh, you can follow Alessandro at AMS1928. Uh, and Dean can be found at FPC Eagles. And I am at Yama underscore TS. Today, we are blessed to have a special guest with us. Uh, everyone, please welcome Travis May, contributor for RotoViz and co-host of the Dynasty Command Center podcast. Travis can be found at Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. Thank you for joining us, Travis. Yeah, glad to be here. Always uh, good to just talk some football. Um, just, yeah, I'm not sure. I know I've been on the podcast once before with Dean, uh, but it's been a bit. I was that last fall. I can't even remember when it was last time we, we uh, were on a show together. Yeah, that was for the boys Titans podcast. Oh, that's right. That we did. That's right. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, well, it's good to see you again. Good to uh, meet you other two. And I don't think I've thought of out of with you guys at all. Uh, so, yeah, always good to just meet new people, talk some uh, football, some dynasty. and uh, Well, we're glad that you're into meeting new people. This is a fairly new podcast. We're about a, dozen, a half dozen episodes in right now, so nice. great to uh, come on early and uh, help us out. A podcast that you used to host was called The Dynasty Life, and uh, I, I remember listening to it, and you would always ask any guests to describe their dynasty life. So I'm going to turn the tables on you a little bit and ask you to describe your dynasty life. Sure. So, I mean, uh, like like many, you, you start off playing redraft leagues, maybe some keeper stuff, and you get the itch to go play dynasty. And uh, so I did that for a while, but uh, I don't know. I just kind of got an idea here and there about maybe I'd want to actually share this thing. and Got an opportunity to write with the Fantasy Authority. I guess I, that's probably been three and a half, four years ago. Thanks to Kevin Steele and uh, – team over there, Justin McCaslin, and eventually became my my, my uh, podcast co-host with uh, Andrew Prechette on the Dynasty Life podcast. Uh, the Fantasy Authority was just kind of starting to expand what they were doing. They you know they ended up having a DFS podcast, a Dynasty podcast, a redraft podcast, and so we started the Dynasty Life and just got to talk to a bunch of really cool, experienced Dynasty fantasy football nerds and, and get to know their story and uh, learn about their strategy, what, what makes them tick, and why they even do what they do. And uh, so for me, I mean, it was kind of a, a distraction <laughs> for, for a while. I mean, I was, I was moving. I just moved to town, to Nashville here in Tennessee, and just trying to figure stuff out um, and just try to, to try my hand at a whole lot of different things. So uh, I think it was a, it was a good getaway uh, early on just to kind of, man, life's stressful. I, I could probably just uh, take a break and, you know, spend an hour just chatting football and, uh, researching it uh, to no end. Uh, right now, I've got three screens going, and I've got like four different Excel docs up right now. And I just, I'm, I'm probably not going to use like 0.01%, but it's I love this stuff. So ended up writing for DLF, uh, Dynasty League Football, that is for quite some time. Thanks to uh, Ryan McDowell, he heard I had a top 100 rookies piece to put out, and he's like, "Hey, you should put that on DLF," and so I did. And then. <laughs> Uh, eventually, uh, Curtis Patrick just uh, stole me away to Rotoviz and uh, Dynasty Command Center this January. Gave me an opportunity to no longer edit my own podcast, which was awesome. <laughs> so that was that was the major incentive to uh, to check out uh, what I can do with uh, Rotoviz and and uh, and it's been great because Rotoviz has so many cool tools. It makes the writing and research super easy, and so I've been able to kind of construct some really elaborate databases and was actually still working on one right before the, the podcast recording. So just been a, a journey just full of meeting awesome people and um, just getting to talk football. Um, on, I, I don't know when it was earlier this spring. I passed up 200 podcasts and uh, radio spots that I was on. So it was just this, this I don't know, three or four years of just awesome <laughs> meeting new people and getting to talk about football to no end, and so I can't get enough of that. So that's that's why I'm here. That's why I said yes to this podcast because <laughs> just uh, love doing this. 
Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, I think we love having you here right now. You're a good, uh, positive person in the community. See on Twitter, you're doing a lot of uh, different uh, tidbits on scouting on certain players. Uh, and that's the thing we've centered more on redraft in this podcast. So maybe shed light into a little bit more of the, the dynasty fantasy football format. Uh, so when we look at players, we tend to look at and redraft, okay, the offense they're in, how they're going to do in one season. But how does the, the uh, evaluation change when you go from redraft to dynasty? What elements are different? Well, a lot of my times, uh, because I play especially nerdy formats uh, like Debbie Leagues, uh, like I'm looking at players you know, two or three years before they're in the pros, and so it's a lot of it is just rookie evaluation, and so that's a different angle that you just don't really care about at all. <laughs> if you're in redraft, but, uh, I love it. I can't get enough of it. So uh, I just love prospect analysis, whether it's by production or by film or whatever else. It's just, uh, it's, it's what I love to do. So that added layer, uh, changes it a lot. So, I mean, I'm not a guy that overvalues youth. In fact, I think among my, uh, contemporaries, I probably value rookie picks a little bit lesser and rookie players a little bit less than some do. You know, I, I try to try to balance that and just uh, recognize that I can't be taking a bunch of rookies just because I like them and redraft. It's a hard, it's a hard balance to stay disciplined and just know what's best for me and and be okay with taking guys like Larry Fitzgerald at a value <laughs> because those guys <laughs> do drop uh, absurdly so. Um, so and, and it's been a lot of fun. I've been digging into kind of age-based product production of elite wide receivers and running backs here recently. So. I found myself taking some older players here and uh, some drafts already this year. Well, we talk about our biases on the show all the time, and we might like certain players, but we also speak the truth about them. So, yeah, it's good to that you mentioned that even though you you invest, I assume, countless hours looking at some of these rookies, that you're still able to detach and see where the value lies in production. I guess the so the big difference in Dynasty other than redraft is you get to keep your team for oh yeah essentially forever, which is a, kind of a really appealing thing. Certainly, you know, the work you've built one year doesn't just get erased and next August everyone's not even, you know, everyone's back to scratch. The carryover is is, uh, is very appealing. Because of that, like you mentioned, older players who you won't have on your team for as long, or seemingly as long, they seem to get undervalued. So, uh, quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> I know Dean and Alessandro, neither, uh, I know Dean especially, don't uh, tend to play too much Dynasty. You guys have any... Particular questions about Dynasty for Travis? Travis, do you see guys that play a lot of Dynasty going after rookies more often in redraft leagues? I mean, some of those leagues probably cross over. Yeah, I'd say so. At least getting their my guy, quote unquote, my guy players, you know, that they just have to have that they they believe in. Uh, So they'll they'll go out of their their way to to reach uh, and take those guys in the early to mid rounds and, that might not be the right call, especially if it's a wide receiver. R- running backs obviously hit a little bit faster. And so reaching, quote-unquote, reaching on a rookie running back isn't always as bad a whiff as some of the wide receivers and those selections that I've seen. But uh, definitely is, a, is a, always a balance. Um, but, yeah, I, I try to try to find that and, and avoid getting suckered into even taking my favorites. Well, Travis, let me ask you this. I play some dynasty. I just got into it because I was one of those guys who's on keeper and uh, redraft leagues. But I just got into dynasty. It when targeting wide receivers specifically, do you go for guys who are I would say newer to the league? You know, I'm not talking like rookies. I'm talking like guys who have a year or two under under their belt, like third year, fourth year kind of guys. Or do you go for more of the well-established kind of guys? Or even, you know, you could just go for rookies. Like, what's that, what's that sweet spot? I, I know it's kind of tough to really guess or calculate where that sweet spot is because each, each uh, wide receiver is different, you know, with different teams and different that. But who would, like, what, what, what kind of guys are you trying to look for in that sweet spot? Rookies or more well-established guys? I think a lot of times you can get uh, some great values on second-year players, maybe second-year wide receivers that didn't explode but might have an okay opportunity or an open-door opportunity uh, to take that, that big second-year bump. Uh, more and more, in, especially in, in recent history, uh, outside of 
like the 2014 class, the 2014 wide receiver class, you know, like Odell Beckham Jr., Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, all those guys, those, those guys hit right away. But that's the exception. Uh, but since then, uh, really, we've seen a huge second-year bump a lot of times at the position, so you can get some great values. Uh, but even like third and, and third and even fourth year sometimes bump. You, like I think of guys like um, Tyler Lockett, who just kind of they're they're an okay flex value, and then they kind of explode for a bit. Or Tyler Boyd, they're an okay flex maybe, and then they kind of explode. Um, guys like like that. Coming up on the end, the end of the rookie contract, or trying to prove prove it, going into their second year deal, their second deal, or even guys like uh, Robert Woods when he finally was able to leave the Bills, like guys in new situations. Uh, those are my favorite kind of targets because the ambiguity of uh, and uncertainty surrounding their role and what to expect that that bumps them down generally around round and a half. Uh, in dynasty circles, those guys get it's like the opposite. Because they get jettisoned up because people love uncertainty. Uncertainty is, is sometimes sexy in, in, in Dynasty. So people are like, oh, yeah, they, obviously he's a third-round pick or whatever. Uh, but I think in, in, in redrafts, I think I see a lot of times there's some hesitance to to go all the way in on, on some of those guys. So it gives you probably a, a one, maybe two-round um, easy value add uh, with a lot of the second-year wide receivers and uh, new situation type guys. Are there any of those players that you're looking at this year that may take a, a good bump in second, third, or fourth year? Yeah, I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that. I mean, and a lot of people are buying in on this already, but I, I think, uh, and, and Curtis Patrick and I kind of talked about this on the uh, Dynasty Command Center podcast. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that DJ Moore, as long as Cam Newton is healthy, could and should, uh, if he falls into any historical norms, uh, just explode uh, this year. Uh, from a production standpoint, and, and perhaps be a high-end wide receiver two, even even by some projections a low-end wide receiver one. That may seem a little strong uh, for the redraft community, but I think if what we have seen with guys with his profile um, and his rookie production, <laughs> their year two bump is, is crazy. If he sees much at all, he's going to be a pretty easy mid wide receiver two, uh, if not better. And I think a lot of people are not really valuing, valuing him there just yet. Uh, conversely, uh, Calvin Ridley is probably not going to see 10 touchdowns again, but he could probably see a little bit more yards and extended target share. Uh, it's really kind of hard to predict because of this new role still lingering around. But uh, it, those two were the big names last year in terms of rookie production. And I think they're kind of trending in opposite directions for me, at least this year. Uh, so I, I'm all for targeting those guys um, outside of that. I mean, Cortland Sutton, just because of his lack of uh, competition, like legitimate competition as a second year guy. I mean, you've got the ghost of Emmanuel Sanders, I guess around, you've got Deshaun Hamilton, if you really like him. Uh, and then you've got what Tim Patrick, uh, you know, it's, it's like a uh, Noah, Noah fan. I mean, he's a tight end. Okay. I, I like him as maybe the, the second leading wide receiver on the team. I don't know, but um, it, it's, 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 kind of hard to predict but i do like sutton just to, to gain some market share this year and dj Moore to absolutely explode uh, explode he was my kind of my guy last year so it's exciting to see him kind of fitting a whole lot of uh historical thresholds that general generally indicate he's gonna continue uh going off i mean for redraft purposes you look at this year the vacated targets of the potential targets of devin funchess yeah, you have Greg Olson coming back, but with all his foot injuries, how much will he be able to do this season? That remains to be seen. So, right, there's a, I think, very good chance that Moore could be the number one target on that team. Certainly got to yeah. be valuable in any format. Yeah, and he really was at times even last year. Uh, so uh, that, that shouldn't have surprised anybody. He basically had the perfect wide receiver profile uh, from his production, from his athleticism across the board. There were just no questions at all. Uh, with DJ Moore, so it was, it was hilarious when he dropped to the late first uh, in several uh, dynasty rookie drafts and really late uh, in redraft. And obviously, he wasn't very usable till later and, and wasn't much of a, a usable asset uh, last year. But I think that's going to change in a big way. One, so a couple things we talk about with strategy with redraft. One of them is, for instance, in a in a type of league where you set only one starting quarterback every week. 
waiting on quarterback is kind of a common strategy. We all talked about it on our quarterbacks episode. We had you know, the top three, four guys in the top tier, but understanding in single quarterback, we're probably not going to get them. We're not going to be willing to go that early on them. Is, do you, is there a difference in strategy that way with quarterbacks in Dynasty? Um, not not too much, but uh, I mean, we've, we've seen, I, I don't know what it's going to look like in a few years when the entire upper echelon of future Hall of Fame quarterbacks are gone. But in recent years, it's been the absolute money play just to wait and wait and wait and think, okay, I'm going to get Drew Brees and he's going to be around for however long. And that worked out a few, like two, three years ago, people were saying, no, he's like, he's done, right? And same with Tom Brady, like those, those aged guys, <laughs> uh, even like Philip Rivers, who's been a, a pleasant surprise to stick around as, as long as he has production wise and Ben Roethlisberger and you can find major age premiums <laughs> on those guys like Tom Brady going around picking, you know, 150 in dynasty drafts, whereas that would, that would be a little strange in redraft. But yeah, it, it definitely works out. You can get older guys, younger QBs generally get reached on in the, uh, the mid rounds. I I'd say even in, even in one quarterback leagues, there's always somebody who's going to go get, get the, the, the hot name, whether it's Kyler Murray way too early or, Deshaun Watson way too early or Baker Mayfield way too early. But yeah, there's, there's so much value to be had in, in redraft and dynasty at quarterback. I mean, like when I play with my, my homely league buddies, I, I'm like, Hey, I promise you I'm going to be the last team to select a quarterback. I don't care what round it is. I don't care if you don't draft a quarterback, I'll not draft a quarterback as well and pick one of them off waivers. So <laughs> it's just, I'm making a point to look guys don't do that. Uh, so I, I think that that same strategy carries over. Alessandro, do you want to ask about a certain dynasty strategy, how it translates redraft-wise? I mean, I'm still learning dynasty in general. I mean, I have a billion questions, but I don't want to be taking up the entire show for that. Because um, you, you guys know me. I'm more redraft, keeper leagues. That's more my speed. I'm still trying to get used to dynasty. But I do have... One thing as far as quarterbacks go, when you do dynasty, obviously you hold on to the team, you can improve on the offseason. Which is better overall? Is it better just to not take a quarterback and go straight for your wide receiver, your running backs, your tight ends, your defenses, whatever, and just pick up whoever is left over in free agency? Because, I mean, there's a lot of guys that can't surprise you. I mean, we saw last season guys come out of nowhere – just making headway down the field. So would it be better just to, you know, gamble on someone in of let's call it free agency, or is it better to draft someone? You end up drafting a quarterback in dynasty, but it's, it's way definitely way later. I mean, I joke about not taking one. The only time I won't take one is in like a, a shallow re- redraft league situation. I, I think the only one I, the deepest league I've ever not taken a quarterback was a 12 team redraft. And it was just to prove a point. And, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of shallow uh, benches. So, I mean, the waivers still had some de- decent QB16 options just hanging out. But in, in Dynasty, I, I try to find a balance. I mean, I'm okay having a couple of geezers and then maybe uh, like one uh, younger guy that, that I'm looking to develop. Um, so it, it, you just got to find a balance. I, don't, I try not to have a, like, you know, hey – Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees all on the same roster. I don't really want that to happen. And then next year, I'm like without a quarterback. But uh, I'm always looking to develop and, and turn the bottom of my, of my roster, even if it's you know getting cute with uh, adding you know Will Greer if I've got Cam Newton. You know, they just plays like like that. Just that are really cheap ads here and there. Now let me ask you this: as far I, I, as far as dynasty goes. Do you try to stack your team, or is it um, best player available? I uh, in, in Dynasty, I mean, it's, it's all about the player's value because everything's an asset that, uh, that fluctuates, right? I mean, I, I'm always interested in, in value, uh, adding some picks, um, which is way different than redraft or keeper. Um, I, like right now, I'm trying to just fish offers for 2021 picks right now because everyone's super interested in the 2020 NFL draft in that, in that class. Um, but, uh, and so that helps add some, some depth, but I'm just, I don't care what my starting line is. If I'm in like a startup draft, you know, June, 
even July, whatever. Yeah, well, even late July. I, I don't care what my starting lineup looks like. I want the most valuable assets uh, that I think are going to allow me to maneuver to what I want my starting lineup to be. Um, so best player available, maybe maybe not uh, what I kind of hold to, but maybe the most valuable player at the moment or that I, I could see their value going up in the near future. That's the type of player I want on my roster. So those are the players I stack, at least for the first eight rounds. And I might fill out some things uh, once I get into the double-digit rounds. And it might almost look like a starting lineup, but uh, that's not really my focus initially. I guess the one thing I've noticed a bit about Dynasty playing more over the last couple of years is the trading market seems to just be more open. So it is possible to go without a starting lineup and you'll be able to, again, with the value, be able to make trades to get a decent starting lineup. I don't think that's necessarily something we hear a lot in redraft. No. I know I equated to, uh, in redraft, you're, the only thing you can trade for in redraft is production. Whether it's, oh, I'm better at running back, you're better at wide receiver and do a positional thing like that. I, sometimes a two for one, okay, I'll give you your weak at depth, I'll give you two sort of tier two guys or your tier one, mm-hmm. things of that nature. But with Dynasty, you have... Uh, I think you alluded to rookie drafts. So uh, yeah. in like a redraft, you start every year with a draft and usually dynasty draft leagues will start with a, they call a startup draft. And then again, you can do that in any format auction, just like you could in a redraft. But then afterwards, there's also rookie drafts every year. Sometimes the first year there might not be. That's again, league decisions to be made by the league. But every year after that, there are rookie picks and you can select the rookies. And that's where the emphasis on rookies happens. Uh, now these uh, draft picks, future you mentioned, you're talking, you're trying to trade for 20, 21 firsts, and so suddenly these picks become a commodity that in redraft leagues aren't there. So you have more uh, things that people want to trade with. So I find the trading market is a lot more uh, viable in dynasty leagues. So for those that like trading a lot, <laughs> dynasty is a great plunge for that because again, it's all off season. You can make trades. It's great. Oh yeah, and if you really want to just jump off the deep end, deep end do uh, some Debbie leagues too. Because not only then do you have rookies that are just coming in, you also have players that are currently in college that you can go draft and own on your roster. And then when they actually make it to the pros, hop on your team automatically as as your rookies. So that's that's my favorite format. Uh, it's, it's the best way I know how to play fantasy football. It's so much fun. I'm in, I'm in a league where we actually have, in the startup, we had 50 rounds of NFL. And we had 50 rounds in college. And uh, we start every single week. We start a full college roster and we start a full NFL roster. There are two separate leagues. You can win either uh, championship. And uh, my buddy uh, Joseph actually won both championships this past year in that league. But it's, it's a lot of fun because you get to you know, see your favorite college football players just grow and, and, and develop. And then they're automatically on your team. Like, you, like, like for instance, I, I got Rondell Moore. I don't know if you guys know who that is. Rondell Moore, wide receiver for Purdue, had over 2,000 all-purpose yards as a true freshman last year for my alma mater. That never happens. But I grabbed him in round 42, and now he's a first-round Debbie League startup type, uh, well, Debbie draft target type player. So I basically got 41 rounds of, of added value in, in just one one season in that one player. So it's, it's just it's fun to see that kind of uh, – success happen. So Dean, do you have any questions about Dynasty that we haven't covered yet? I got a couple. Travis, you got time. Do you draft IDP guys to individual defensive players? I mean, because that's another type of league along with Dynasty that I don't have a great deal of experience with. Yeah, I, I do. Um, actually, my, my home league, uh, we, we just, you know, all my buddies back home, our, our super nerdy Dynasty league is IDP. And so that, that makes it interesting because that adds the depth. So our rookie draft is uh, – obviously there's, there's more players to be had there. You, you can draft linebackers. You can draft defensive linemen. You can draft defensive backs. So uh, that makes it a lot of fun. Our, our home league draft every year is uh, for rookies is seven rounds long. It's only ten – it's ten of us. It's not like a super deep league. But the rosters are super deep. Like off-season off roster, I think we can have 50, and then we got to cut it down regular season to 40. But, yeah, the, the – I did – IDP is a lot of fun too. And that's really where the value comes in. You got to have, if anybody has questions on, on setting it up from a scoring standpoint, feel free to reach me. 
uh, on Twitter at, at, at FF underscore Travis M because the, the IDP stuff is all about the getting the scoring format right to kind of fit with whatever offensive premiums you have um, to make those players the right amount of valuable uh, to, to, you know, see them get traded, to see them get drafted uh, significantly early, you know. And so that's hard to do and find that balance uh, just from a commissioner standpoint. But when you do, it is a lot of fun. It may seem daunting at first, but it really is. The other question I've got is if I was going to start a dynasty league or join a dynasty league, what one piece of advice would you give me? What should I look for to make sure that this is going to be a league that's going to be around a while? As a commissioner or just like if you were just going to join, the one thing I would probably just make sure that uh, all the rules were clearly outlined when it comes to uh, the league year schedule, like when it comes to uh, when rip waivers run or when blind betting runs, uh, like what you actually have asset-wise to fire players in the offseason. Uh, that can be the most confusing. Like we're all about the in-season stuff. And like if you if you do redraft, you, you know what the waiver schedule kind of looks like in season. But uh, leading up to the season, like before anything's even happened, or do you have different runs throughout the offseason? Do you have it every week? Do you have it after the NFL draft? Like all those things, making sure that the, the, the little things uh, are, are set up for kind of a full league calendar. Uh, from a commissioner standpoint, that's what I really try to make certain, no questions there. Uh, and if I'm just joining one, I always want to clarify with the commissioner, hey, you know, a couple of leagues or some guy that I heard on the podcast said I should look up, uh, you know, this on a league calendar. And you guys have some kind of, you know, uh, every year type dates I need to put down so I know how to plan and, and uh, structure my blind bids and stuff like that. For So that's that's the big thing, just because every league's different, but there has to be some kind of structure so that everyone is on the same page. So, you know, like, oh, waivers ran and it's it's June 25th. What the heck's going on? Yeah, that, that's probably it. So clarity from the commissioner in terms of expectations. And uh, that was actually pretty great, Dean, because our next topic was to transition into Beyond Dynasty and looking just at, from a commissioner's perspective, the duties that they have. So I... Uh, you know, informing everyone, that's probably the most important, making sure communication is, is uh, key. I know certain leagues I have, we, there's uh, chats that are outside the league. It's not just on the league website. You can oh, usually yeah. use a, a second-party app, Band or GroupMe. That just helps with discussions. You can have one-on-one uh, messaging with other commissioners or, or sorry, other owners. Helps with trading and just, uh, you know, things of that nature. So I find that's uh, something really useful. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I, I've got uh, just looking at my scrolling through my phone here. What do I have as far as my league chats go? I've got GroupMe, I've got Slack, I've got Voxer, which is that's that's fun. Uh, if you got Twitter, and some people just like doing everything via email. Like one of the writers leagues I was in, everyone's like, I, I I can't I can't do another app, so we just have these long email threads every time there's an update. Uh, but, you know, there's no right way to do it. But as long as there's some kind of centralized outside of the league chat type central form of communication that everyone can get behind, that's that's essential. Alessandro, do you have anything that you find any league you have, whether it's Dynasty Redraft, is super important to include? Uh, no, I mean, th- there's a lot of things. And it's, it's a lot. It truly is. Because you want to make sure everyone's on the same page. You want to make sure everyone can do like the draft on the same day you don't want to have that one guy that's you know got that poor connection or anything like that so you want to definitely have something like that i know from personal experience i had a guy we told him and i know we told him because we yelled at his face during one of our uh, meetings that you were drafting on this day well the day before he decides to go on a three-day camping trip and so he's right there in the middle of the woods my friend sent me a photo of him up in a tree was falling, waving around like an idiot, trying to draft, you know, in the middle of the woods. So I think the biggest thing there is communication. Like, you know, Travis said, it doesn't matter what it is, Slack, email, group me, you know, whatever. Just try to make sure everyone can thoroughly understand and make sure everyone has it down in some kind of, like, book. And the other big thing is just in, in general, make sure people know what they're doing. 
it's okay to get new people in the league. It's it's fine, you know. When my uh, my friends, my brothers, they uh, include me into their, my first ever fantasy league, I didn't know what I was doing. But they were kind enough to actually show me and tell me, hey, this is what you got to do. Try to do this. Look at this. I'm competing against them. But they made a point to make sure I knew what I was doing. They gave me a fair, even field. So that way when they beat me, only half of them beat me. I was right there in the middle of the back. But when they did beat me, it was for pure bragging rights. And the other half I could laugh at. So you got lost to the first year. But it's it's you got to make sure everyone's on the same page. Because I've actually been in a league where some kid was new to the whole uh, keeper league. Didn't know what he was doing. And he just completely failed at everything. I was nice enough to reach out to him and be like, hey, look. You should try to go for this, go for these guys, stack this way, do this. And the kid actually did a lot better the next year. But, like, yeah, definitely communication on that part. I've definitely seen a lot of leagues where people just will take advantage of you if you don't know what you're doing or if you don't have someone there to help you. Dean, do you have anything that you find incredibly important to have in fantasy leagues? Well, there are two things in redraft, and Travis touched on it earlier. Scoring. Your scoring system is going to dictate how you go into the draft, in my opinion. Uh, and roster construction is the second thing. Is it a two tight end league? Is it a two quarterback league? What kind of league is it? And what kind of points do I get for these guys? If a tight end gets eight points for every touchdown catch, I'm much more likely to reach for a Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey than I am to wait on them versus a receiver, a normal wide receiver, they get six. You know, it's important to know those things. And sometimes they're pretty clearly spelled out. And sometimes... You know, people miss them and they then they get all, you know, ticked off later in the year because, well, I didn't know that George Kittle was going to, you know, lead the league in scoring because, you know, he gets eight points every time he catches the ball or something like that. But if you read the rules, then then you'll understand that, or at least if it's communicated like Alessandro was saying. Yeah, I've got a league that is kind of weird with tight ends. Like it's, it is a point and a half per reception plus a little boost for first downs. I think it's a quarter of a point for first down. So there's a huge premium on guys that uh, have a lot of catches, like a Zach Ertz, like a Travis Kelsey, like a George Kittle. So I ended up, uh, I, I was just basically trying to play the premiums, and it is a redraft this year. And I actually got, I think I went Kamara first because it's partial points per carry, like 0.25 per, per carry. Uh, and then I ended up going, um, I think it was Ertz and Kittle back to back, or maybe Kelsey Kittle, one of the two. So, uh, in the two three two three turn somewhere around there, and so it it, it seems kind of crazy for somebody who doesn't play in a bunch of premium uh, type formats, but uh, my team's stacking up pretty nicely, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> but it, it's all about the format. I guess the one thing for me that I need absolutely in every league, I can I can deal with any type of scoring setting, whether there's premiums to positions or not, if there's points of first down or not. Uh, but to me, it's the trade execution time. When a trade is completed, when two owners or when one owner set, sends the trade, the other one accepts, it goes through. Some leagues have a, I mean, some leagues have a voting period, right? The veto, which I've something I'm really not I'm really opposed to. I feel that uh, the commissioner, that the, you know, you titled the commissioner to kind of run the league and they can decide if, okay, this trade reeks of collusion. This doesn't seem like a very fair trade. Someone's just giving up way too much. Why are they doing that? Especially in redraft, we can kind of see that can be a little clearer. I guess in dynasty, we can always give enough picks to kind of justify something. But for the most part, I think that should lie with the commissioner, not people voting. I was in a league last year where there was a two-day period after a trade was was executed. So if you didn't get a trade done by Friday morning, like Friday 1 p.m., and you made a trade with someone, you weren't getting that play, those players in your lineup for that week. So really, I, I like uh, immediate execution, right? The, as soon as the commissioner sees the trade it was executed, they put it through and it goes through, right? And that way you can make Sunday morning trades if you really need to. I've done that before in leagues, and I, it's it's just an element of, uh, of gamesmanship. I mean, I enjoy trading. I want anything to kind of help. Uh, have a better trading uh, network and make trades easier. So that's something that I'm pretty adamant on every league to have is immediate execution of trades. Yeah, I think that's important. I think, and really the only only reason that anyone does the whole two-day buffer thing was that was like the ESPN standard settings when they they kind of made their all their cookie-cutter formats that you could do maybe, I don't know, 
12, 15 years ago, something like that. Um, and so it, that was just kind of like normal. So I think a lot of people, even when they got off of ESPN and tried different hosts, they, they would still kind of include that as a commissioner just because they'd seen that in the cookie cutter format. But yeah, I'm, I'm all for last second trades and, and I'm not really for vetoing uh, at all either. I think, uh, I mean, we're all in If you're in my league, it's because I, one, I want to play against you and I probably respect you enough to say, look, I, you, you know what you're doing. And I'm not, it, just do what's in the best interest of your team. And I got no problem with it, you know? So I, I think it's super important to just have, have flexible, uh, flexibility rather in, in trading for sure. Cause especially that when you get that last second inactive at, at 1155, you're like, Oh my God. And so you gotta go, you know, scrambling around, especially in redraft. That's awful. <laughs> so, uh, cause you don't probably don't have the depth to just like plug in your fourth, fifth wide receiver or whatever. Well, I think that was a good talk about setting up leagues, talking about dynasty. Uh, now I want to get to something a bit more uh, particular with certain players. Uh, so here at Full Press Coverage, I mentioned it on a few episodes, we've got writing staffs for most teams. So there's a lot of information on Full Press Coverage uh, website that isn't just fantasy related. It's real football, talks about players at minicamp recently. There's a few articles about that from certain teams have put out. We like having that kind of expertise on the show. Now, Travis, you mentioned it before. You're in Nashville, and I know. I know. Last year, I saw a lot on Twitter. You were going to a lot of Titans training camp, and you know, kind of tweeting out what you saw and uh, kind of yeah. helping people out with that. So you you know the Titans very well. And our very first episode, we talked about rookies, and we wanted to kind of go back on certain one of the, these rookies to kind of see what you thought about them and your evaluation. So uh, we'll, we'll start with the Titans player. Dean mentioned uh, AJ Brown in our first episode. So, Travis, why don't you give us your spiel on A.J. Brown? Well, um, as far as <laughs> us wanting him to produce in year one, uh, there wasn't much of a worse landing spot, probably, uh, than my Titans. I, I like the, the Titans. Um, I'll, I'll be a fan until I die. But uh, that doesn't mean I have to enjoy their offense until they actually figure it out. Uh, they, they basically consistently here recently been – like the bottom four or five or bottom two uh, last year in, in pass attempts, uh, which is just not as fun to watch. And it's not as great for your fantasy football wide receivers. Uh, Corey Davis did a lot better than a lot of people think he did. Uh, he didn't score very many touchdowns. I think he only grabbed like four. But as far as yardage goes, he definitely saw a, a major bump and being healthy certainly didn't hurt him uh, as well. Uh, but, you know, then bringing on Adam Humphreys uh, and then uh, – you know, already having Corey Davis in play and then bringing in A.J. Brown. I think there's going to be a lot of confusion early on as to who the favorite uh, targets are. Because, I mean, you've got the unbelievable, like, basically league-leading third-down efficiency from Adam Humphreys that I, I can't imagine he's not going to see at least, you know, 60, 70 targets, probably more than that. And then Corey is probably not going to just disappear. He's probably going to be you know, in the 100-plus range pretty easily. Uh, So if anything goes to running backs, if anything goes to Delaney, who's back, that doesn't leave a a huge chunk of the pie to A.J. Brown, which is disappointing because I think he has all the skills you want to see in a wide receiver. He played mostly from the slot at Old Miss, uh, but uh, was able to slide outside and was actually more efficient than his uh, teammate D.K. Metcalf when Metcalf was out with injury uh, this past year. Actually, Averaged like 18.1 yards per reception on outside routes uh, on his receptions this past season, which is just kind of crazy for a player that a lot of people just projected as more of a a bigger slot guy. So I think he and Corey are going to be kind of moving around, you know, mixing up the the formations. And Adam Humphreys is going to be more of the slot guy. That's just who he is. That's how how he plays, where he plays from. But, uh, you know, he might slide out some. But I think A.J. Brown just gives them flexibility. Uh, and so I think he's going to have a high snap count. I think they're going to have a much different um, split in terms of like 11 and 12 personnel. And that, that's basically three wide receivers versus two wide receivers on the field. I think they're going to have a lot more of that. So I like him moving forward, like maybe year two, three plus uh, after Delaney is no longer a part of the picture. Uh, and they're kind of running through three wide receivers. But you redraft, I'm, I'm hard pass on AJ Brown, which kind of stinks. Dean, did you want to... Talk about A.J. Brown, echo some of the things you mentioned in our first episode. I, th- I think A.J. will have some opportunities, but 
Delaney Walker was the key to that offense. I think it really hurt Mariota and the Titans overall when he went out with that injury. There's just no way around that, in my opinion. There are a lot of weapons out there. If Derrick Henry plays like an angry Derrick Henry, like he did from time to time, he's going to be uh, much better out of the gate. Say Delaney Walker, if he's healthy and ready to go, he's going to be a big boon for Mariota in that offense. And Corey Davis, one more year under his belt. And I think Corey Davis has the talent to be a top flight guy. And of course, Humphreys, you know, uh, Travis touched on the things that he did last year in Tampa with, with that offense. So I, I think AJ will have some opportunities, but it won't be abundant. Well, I think we'll be uh, polite now that we've gone through a, a Titans and kind of an expertise on Travis. Uh, you also brought forward, Travis, a couple of rookies that you wanted to talk about. So why don't you start with Andy Isabella and give us uh, your thoughts on him. Yeah, so Andy Isabella, he's a guy that I really like this year. He's kind of my guy at wide receiver just because he's a, a major value uh, when compared to a lot of the other day two guys. You know, in, in a lot of the drafts, I've seen him drop completely out of the first round. Uh, the Rotoviz team actually has him pretty hot, like top six probably in terms of uh, top rookies, which is higher than probably any other website and, and ranking group that I've seen. And it's it's basically because Rotoviz is very metrics based. Uh, we're really interested in the production profile mixed with the athleticism thresholds, mixed with a whole lot of other things that, that, that go into building the perfect wide receiver prospect. Uh, a lot of people are scared just because. They have a lot of other wide receivers there right now. They have Larry Fitzgerald, who's still not going away at age 500. Christian Kirk is still around, and he was actually kind of their wide receiver one at some times uh, last year. And they just added uh, the Twitter's uh, draft darling and Hakeem Butler. Uh, and they have David Johnson, who likes to catch the ball. But I think if you look at the historic use uh, of uh, the offenses and really schemes that uh, Kingsbury has employed in college and his tendency to pass like crazy. I, I really think that the Cardinals could pass <laughs> for, you know, 700 pass attempts this year, which isn't crazy. Uh, I think the Steelers were maybe 10 or 11 attempts off of that last year, something like that, which is, which sounds crazy when you think about how little the Ravens pass and the Titans pass like 200 times less. But I think that they, uh, they have a lot of room to grow as an offense and, and uh, I think it, it, with enough volume, a lot of those guys can be productive. So even for redraft leagues, I, I am kind of, especially at best ball and, and type of type of leagues like that, I'm, I'm looking at Andy Isabella because uh, his when I created a metric uh, that kind of mixes uh, college dominator rating, which is essentially the, your percentage of your team's reception, well not receptions, receiving yards and receiving touchdowns, uh, dominator rating, uh, yards per team pass attempt touchdowns per team pass attempt, which are exactly what they sound like, all of which uh, independently have proven to be pretty sticky and, and predictive of NFL production as far as like variables go that we look at in the fantasy community. And I mix them into one one measure. And uh, his overall production score, in short, uh, was like 95th percentile. Obviously, he played for a lesser school, UMass, but he played some of the top competition and blew schools away like Georgia and so I, I think he, he's done it at every single level, uh, competition-wise. And uh, I, I really like that he saw some draft capital. I was worried that he wouldn't see elite-level draft capital. But he went day, you know, inside day two, which is a, a really meaningful threshold for us. At, at, you know, any, and I say us at Rotoviz, but anyone who's really done much uh, digging into a wide receiver sticking at the next level. It's kind of important, but I, I would compare him to Brandon Cooks and Tyler Lockett, kind of in between those two players, uh, especially even even like draft capital wise. I think he's in between those two players, but he um, I charted a bunch of games every single year and uh, I need to pull this up because I'm pretty sure it, he, he had nine touchdowns in, in the eight games that I fully charted and all of them went for 37 and more yards, uh, which is just crazy. A guy that, that can do that with uh, the vertical type offense that Kingsbury's going to employ and Kyler Murray at the helm, I think that's a lot of fun. So Isabella is just a slam dunk type prospect, and he doesn't have very many questions. I don't, I don't see why more people aren't excited about what he brings to the table. For just an additional context on Isabella, 
you're talking about uh, a me- your overall production metric. You had them in 95th yeah. percentile. Is that mm-hmm. just for this year's class, 2019, or are you from? Is that from every year you charted? That is 95th percentile. Looking at uh, every wide receiver that's entered the league from 2015, uh, 2005, and, and 2016. So players that have like three seasons under their belt. You know, they they entered the league and they've got 2016, 2017, 2018, at least three years of of uh, production under their belt. So looked at three different variables and combined it with some draft capital. You can check that piece out. It's actually called the uh, adjusted production index. Uh, the importance of peak production was the, the piece that I wrote for wrote on that. And uh, some other interesting guys that had good pro- profiles and draft capital, because I know a lot of people are get curious when, when you talk about that type of uh, thing. Like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside saw sufficient you know, he saw sufficient draft capital and had a decent score around the 83rd percentile. Uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown uh, obviously hit what you need to in terms of draft capital. Plus, he saw like a 77th percentile uh, production score uh, when you combine basically three of the stickiest metrics in terms of wide receiver production college and, and college translating to NFL production. Uh, so it was a guy at values. They're all dropping into the second round. The rookie drafts all over. J.J. Arcega Whiteside from... Uh, Stanford, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, obviously, and going to the Ravens from Oklahoma, and, of course, Andy Isabella from UMass now on the Cardinals. So those are their three production targets uh, I'm looking for to drop into the second round of rookie drafts and taking a stab at in best ball leagues in the last round, stuff like that. Travis, we did a, a QB show here a while back, and while some of us didn't have Kyle Murray ranked, since you're so high on Andy Isabella, and I and I have no doubts that you know Andy Isabella can be a good thing. Are you high on Kyle Murray, or are you just high on Andy Isabella? Yeah, I'm high on Kyle Murray. I think uh, most people are that uh, look at uh, you know production from college and uh, meaningful metrics translating to the to the next level. I mean, when you really want to do some in-depth metric analysis and you run some nerdy stuff like multiple linear regression and you, you see that interception percentage is, is pretty important to uh, translating to the next level. Adjusted yards per attempt is pretty pretty important when uh, adjusting to the next level uh, just statistically. And and then obviously, I mean, you can look at the obvious things like 69% completion percentage and think, oh, that's probably pretty good. But um, I think when you put his, his stats next to Baker Mayfield's, they're almost identical, except he's a better runner. Uh, he had one of the most ridiculous college football seasons we have ever seen in the history of the game the last year. I mean, having uh, put up the ridiculous touchdown percentage, and, and which I mean, basically one every one out of every nine passes that he threw went for a touchdown last year. Uh, and, and still, even though he had all the volume, his interception percentage stayed relatively low and it was actually below two percent which is right right on par with where Baker Mayfield's was it was like 1.9 percent to 1.5 percent uh, his adjusted yards per attempt was like 13 which is basically 100th percentile all time like there's single digit quarterbacks that have ever done the adjusted type yards per attempt numbers that they kind of early uh Murley, <laughs> Murray did this past year plus he added you know a thousand yards on the ground at the same time. So I think for fantasy football purposes, uh, I don't know how well he sticks long-term as a Hall of Fame quarterback, but I think his combination of running and his accuracy and his decision-making makes it a pretty pretty easy rank inside of uh, quarterback one territory for dynasties, uh, dynasty leagues, and, and maybe you know quarterback two consideration year one. All right, so we talked about the Cardinals there and their second-round rookie pick. Andy Isabella. Another player I'd like to talk about who's also a second-round rookie wide receiver is Debo Samuel. Alessandro spoke about Debo Samuel in our first episode. Alessandro, did you want to say anything about Debo? You guys know me. I live here down in South Carolina in Gamecock territory, so I am a little bit biased. But no, I am really high on Debo. You know, he's got a great sporting cast over there in um, San Francisco. But the thing I want to say is, uh, reports are coming out that Dante Pettis is looking really good. He is probably going to be wide receiver one, which does hurt Debo Samuel's stock a little bit since we are a fantasy dynasty redraft, whatever kind of show. I figure it is important to tell you guys that Dante Pettis is looking very good. So 
Debo could be a wide receiver three, wide receiver four, depending on depending on how the season goes. But Debo, he is a very good slot receiver, and he's a very good outside the number runner. And so he is a very versatile back, and I think he's actually perfect for Dynasty because he does be he does get used in uh, kickoffs, punt returns, and that sort of thing, and he does get used on offense. So uh, I'm not the Dynasty expert. That's you, Travis. Or you're more of an expert than I am. But um, I won't leave that to you. Is he really good for Dynasty? Because I think he is. I think uh, I, I like Debo. I don't love Debo. I think his profile projects as more of a, uh, a flex play upside guy than you know an anchor to your roster long term for Dynasty leagues. And, and really, immediately, I, I am a little bit concerned with uh, just his market share opportunity. You know, he's, they already have Kittle. Uh, they're probably not going to steer away from his dominance. They uh, obviously have Dante Pettis, who uh, had a hot streak with, uh, you know, a, a pretty decent pace, about 100 targets, 16 game extrapolated pace uh, for maybe six games last year. So he kind of earned some kind of role. Obviously, it wasn't when Jimmy uh, Garoppolo was on the field, but uh, he did a lot of good things. And then they bring in and uh, Jalen Hurd as well, who's just kind of this weird former running back slash wide receiver slash he could probably be a tight end too type guy. There's just a lot of playmakers now on the field. Plus they they have some backs that can catch catch the ball uh, at least in a limited fashion. So um, I'm not sure that their target pie is going to be as large as as a team like the Cardinals. And so I think his his upside in, in year one is definitely capped. But because of his balance as a route runner. He basically just spreads out and distributes his, his route running really well in terms of he doesn't like just do all post routes, not all go routes, all, all curl routes. He, he runs just about everything. And he's kind of a yak monster in terms of yak being important. Uh, NFL offenses want that more than ever. So I think if he turns out to be the best yak guy on the team, I mean, anytime you, you do any basic regression analysis on what leads to more yards, the, the leading yak guys – that variable by itself can tell you just about anything you need to know as far as total in yards. I mean, with the exception of guys like uh, like Mike Evans, who basically catch the ball and fall down. Most 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 guys actually that make a lot of plays and, and, and carry the ball on, on huge runs after the catch are the guys you're, you're going to want in your uh, fantasy leagues and what NFL general, uh, general managers are looking for now. So he's intriguing. I just think he's a really good football player that's going to be a contributor and not like a star for your fantasy roster. Now, looking at rookie drafts, someone who may is maybe dra- being drafted with the idea of being a star is Miles Sanders. I think, I don't know about you, Travis, but I've kind of regularly seen him go in the first five picks of rookie drafts, sometimes even earlier. So do you think that's worth it for Miles Sanders? What do you think about his outlook for both 2019 and long-term? I think long-term, I really like Miles Sanders. He sat patiently behind Saquon Barkley. And if he was behind anybody else, he wouldn't have to sit at all. Uh, he, he was my running back one this year just from a talent perspective. Uh, he saw adequate draft capital going on, on uh, day two, earlier in day two. Uh, so I think the Eagles are going to want to give him the ball. He's clearly their best back immediately. No offense to – well, actually, definitely offense to Jordan Howard because he's just not good. I mean, he basically was just he, – he had a lot of volume. That's great, dude. That's fine. But he's going to be on the couch after his uh, basically last year on this contract. I can't remember the exact details, but he's basically a free cut after this year. Uh, so I'm not worried about Miles Sanders long term. Year one, um, I'm not sure how fast they'll just be like, hey, here's here's all the carries, Miles Sanders. But I think he had uh, adequate numbers in his final season at Penn State that showed he could be kind of a bell cow option. And he did catch quite a few passes uh, within the context of the Penn State offense that doesn't really pass the ball very much, especially really to the racks outside of Saquon Barkley's year because he was just Saquon Barkley. But uh, I like him as an immediate uh, RB2 upside type guy, but uh, not really trusting him with more than a flex play for redraft for, uh, purposes this year. But Dynasty, definitely, definitely top five, if not top two or three type rookie pick. Just to add on to something you mentioned there, Travis, you're talking about Jordan Howard and his contract situation. This is the last year of his rookie deal. So maybe you're right, because as, as of right now, there's no money coming in for 2020 for him. I mean, whether it's the Eagles that extend him or next year in free agency goes on to someone else. It doesn't seem like, you know, it seems like you're right that Miles Sanders kind of has a clear path 
to be the starter. Now I'm going to, let's actually default to the Eagles guy here, Dean. Want to add anything to uh, talk about Miles Sanders? I think Miles Sanders is going to have a, a decent year, and I think he does have a clear path. I haven't heard a lot about uh, the running back group out of there other than Josh Adams. Probably Adams is not going to make the team, probably, is what I've heard. But that doesn't affect Sanders or, or Howard much. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with, with just about everything Travis said, that Miles Sanders is going to going to have a good year, and he's the guy going forward, I think. Uh, okay, so let's quickly talk about a player briefly, uh, Drew Locke. I don't know how much redraft, redraft looking he's going to get, but certainly in Dynasty, Drew Locke might be an option. Travis, want to enlighten us on Drew Locke? Drew Locke... Uh, he seemed like a really intelligent guy. I mean, he was able to kind of learn some different systems uh, in Missouri. He had kind of more of like an air raid style system, uh, not this past year, but the year before. And then, of course, uh, learned more of a pro style look uh, this year, which was really indicative of him being able to learn a, a system pretty quickly and hit the ground running. That's that's great. He was absolutely horrific throughout his career when it came to the really good opponents. He uh, he could He could definitely beat the bad teams. But when you look at his splits uh, in terms of like ranked teams versus non-ranked teams, his accuracy in terms of well completion percentage drops by like eight or ten points, and his interceptions spike. I can't remember how many times. I want to say it's like two and a half times or something crazy. Uh, it's just not even close. He's not the same player. So I hope he can figure it out. I think if anybody's gonna gonna do it, that's come in uh, to be a Bronco here recently, he's got the best shot because Paxton Lynch was always horrible. But uh, you know, I think uh, I'm not super high on him. I had a devil, uh, devil, Debbie share or two of uh, Drew, Drew Lock, but I'm not super, uh, you know, pumped to, to own somebody like that. So I know we're running a little late. I have one last question for you, Travis. So the player I want to highlight was Justice Hill. Uh, in a recent Dynasty rookie draft, I had the 110, 111, 112 made some trades to get all three picks. And with one of those three picks, I took Justice Hill. So do you think Justice Hill at the end of the first in rookies, you know, uh, PPR single quarterback? Do you think that was uh, too early for Justice Hill, or did I have some? Did it make sense there? You know, my my Debbie shares of Justice Hill hopes you're right, uh, I, because I have like three, uh, maybe four Debbie shares in, in in terms of leagues where you can own college players and all that nerdy stuff I was mentioning earlier. Uh, so I have him just automatically on a bunch of my teams, but he's he's not that high for me. He's and it's really just a weight thing. He's got crazy strength. He can catch the ball. He, he showed to be incredibly productive at Oklahoma State, uh, but he probably sits uh, behind uh, Mark Ingram on the touch totem pole this year. Uh, and next year, being 2020, uh, there's about seven or eight running backs that I think would immediately usurp him as well, even if Ingram is just disappears. So I wouldn't have probably taken him right there, but I think middle of the second. Early second, I think that's where I've seen him go in pretty standard one QB look leagues. So, yeah, I, I really like him as a player. And he was squatting like 600 freaking pounds as, as like a, a sophomore or something nuts. So the guy's guy's kind of a freak. Uh, so I hope hopefully he gets and get some opportunity. All right. Any last questions or comments for Travis, guys? Well, Travis, thank you very much for joining us on the show. We wish you well. And, uh, Perhaps this will be uh, one of many meetings. Yeah, be good to, to come back some other time. But in the meantime, you guys definitely, uh, you and your listeners can definitely reach out to me on, on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. Always good to just talk some uh, some football and, and nerdy formats. If you want to learn about all my uh, my just scary nerdy leagues, I'd be glad to tell you about uh, setting those up. Nerd out a little, so. Well, we appreciate you coming on and nerding out with us. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, Travis. You betcha, guys. And by the way, Alessandro, you're not the only Alessandro I know. What? Yeah, I know <laughs> two other that. Alessandros. Probably going to have an Alessandro as a brother-in-law at some point. Uh, he, he is uh, half Italian, half Peruvian. And then the other one, actually, I taught piano lessons to for a while. Uh, but he lives in New Zealand now. So they're kind of... All over the place, but uh, yeah. So now I know three Alessandros. What do you know? If it makes you feel better, I'm half Italian, half Pol- well, quarter Polish, quarter Russian. So yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna guess it had to be some Italian in there. So. <laughs>
Thank you all for listening to the Full Press Fantasy Pod. We are part of the Full Press Radio Network, at Full Press Radio on Twitter. Be sure to check out all of the amazing content on fullpresscoverage.com for NFL, as well as all other sports. It can also be found on follow uh, the website on Twitter, at FP Coverage. Big thanks to Travis May for coming on to the podcast. Follow all his good work at FF underscore Travis M. On behalf of my co-host, Alessandro Senator, at AM underscore Senator, and Dean Williams at FBC Eagles. I'm Kyle Senra at Nyama underscore KS, and this was the Full Press Fantasy Podcast.